Welcome to Blue Wire. After you finish listening to this awesome Blue Wire podcast, make sure you check out the other pods in our Blue Wire family. Okay, I know, you're probably wondering, how do I do that? Well, it's simple. Go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Blue Wire. Ta-da! They will all be there, so have fun listening. Folks, it's Friday, which means it's time for another episode of the Fin It to Win It podcast. I am your host, Kyle Krabs. And thank goodness, it's Friday, which means we're another step closer to the 2019 NFL Draft. And hopefully, hopefully, we can get some clarity on who the hell the Dolphins quarterback of the future is. We still have some prescribing thought that suggests maybe it's Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke. God help us if it's Daniel Jones, but maybe Daniel Jones. Uh, I prefer to just pass the whole thing over, personally. And uh, we're going to get into some quarterback talk again today. But it's only fitting if we're going to talk about quarterbacks in the Miami Dolphins. We talk about the GOAT. We talk about the right arm of God. I'm talking, of course, about Dan Marino, who reminded everybody this week just how much of a fucking baller this dude was when he went out 1990, whenever this video was. <laughs> he posted this video on Twitter, and I, I lost my mind. I've seen the video before, but I still just cannot fathom, if you missed it, at Dan Marino. Uh, the caption is just... Go deep, which is perfect for Dan, right? It's a pregame warm-up. He's in his matching sweatsuit, and he's on like the 40-45 yard line. And it's this twisting behind-the-back throw that he throws a rope and hits somebody standing in the end zone, like in between the eyes, on a behind-the-back throw from 40-45 yards out. Just, it really makes me regret being born in 1989 and missing so much of the heyday of Dan. Like, my memories of being a Dolphins fan start, like, the playoff win against Indianapolis. Like, that's that's honestly it. Like, that, that's the first kind of seasons that I vividly remember the Dolphins. I remember... The Raiders playoff loss. I remember the Jacksonville loss. But this Dan Marino? God, it would have been so much more fun to have this on my team. Anybody know if any of these quarterbacks can throw like behind their backs? Because that'd be sweet. That, that would really be helpful if we could just narrow and whittle down the field based off of Dan could do this, could you do this? Dan could do this. Could you do this? Um, Dolphins quarterbacks. Dolphins showed some interest this past week. And Buffalo quarterback Tyree Jackson. I like kicking the tires on this kid. This kid's a fun football player. Uh, He's not, if you're hoping for plug and play, if you're hoping for an immediate starter, if you're hoping for... uh, Bringing somebody in with the expectation of win now, Tyree Jackson's not going to be for you. Uh, I like what he put on film. Big kid. He's like six, legit six, seven. 
240 pounds. He's very, very athletic for his size. Uh, and he's got a big-time arm. Now, what are the issues with Tyree Jackson? He played at Buffalo. He was generally accurate, but did not have pinpoint precision accuracy. And he had some lapses and faults in his throwing mechanics that led to a pretty large spray chart. And what I mean by spray chart, when you watch quarterbacks, where does he put the ball versus where is the ball supposed to go? There's a very high amount of variance, and that ball might be in the dirt. It might be three yards over his head. It might be right in between his eyes. And uh, a lot of those inconsistencies stem from the fact that he's long. Uh, he he's six seven. The, there's a lot of length to those moving parts, and the longer that throwing delivery is, the more margin for error it is. It's interesting. It's why, like, you look at Kyler Murray and watch Kyler Murray throw a football, and his throwing delivery is so compact, and that really helps him and allows him to generate velocity in a short amount of space. Where Tyree needs the long stride out in front of him to get his throwing motion initiated. He's really got to be careful and deliberate as far as getting over the top on his throws. As soon as that arm slot starts to drop down, he really loses a lot of his appeal as a passer. Uh, the Dolphins, uh, along with the Detroit Lions, uh, paid some some attention, went up and saw Tyree this past week in Buffalo. Uh, he played at University of Buffalo. And uh, I do like the fact that the Dolphins have Jim Caldwell to bank on. And that potentially can give you uh, – it's a respected mind in the league as far as developing a quarterback and coaching quarterbacks. And that's a trump card Miami really has not had for a while either. So something to monitor. I do think they double dip ultimately. I think they're going to draft a late or a mid-round quarterback this year and a first-round pick next year. Now, where's Tyree going to go? My impression, based off of conversations I've had, is Tyree goes day two, which that's too rich. Because if you're taking him on day two, your expectation is he's going to develop into your starter. Don't do this, Miami. If he's there in the fourth round, boom, you pull the trigger, no questions asked. Do not use a top 100 pick on Tyree Jackson. That's my advice on Tyree Jackson. Speaking of quarterbacks... Mike Tannenbaum was on TV yesterday, guys. I don't know if you guys saw this one or not. Uh, Tannenbaum's been laying low ever since getting, quote-unquote, reassigned by Steve Ross, a.k.a. fired from running the Miami Dolphins. And it's been a quiet, uh, quiet couple months for him. Now, he's back. He's on NFL Live as of yesterday. He was on with... Uh, Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl and Lewis Riddick, and they're talking uh, some of the talent of the 2019 NFL Draft. One of those positions of talent in question, Mike Tannenbaum company talked about the quarterback class of 2019, and uh, they each did their top fives, and Tannenbaum put his top five on the board. And I'll give you one guess who, who Mike Tannenbaum does not like. Mr. Kyler Murray. Tannenbaum's top five quarterbacks in the segment read as follows. Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, and Will Greer. 
Why? It's a good question. His reference on Kyler Murray was because Kyler Murray is short. Doesn't like Kyler because he's short. Now, you're going to get a lot of that in the league. You're going to get a lot of that with kind of the traditionalists who have been around this for a long time in the pros. There's going to be a lot of natural pushback on Kyler being such a highly coveted prospect. For me, he's my top quarterback class, or my top quarterback in the class. I just think the quarterback class sucks. So, like, yeah, that's a downside that it's not a good quarterback class. But Kyler, for me, is still very potent and explosive as a passer and a runner. Whereas Dwayne Haskins is... Dwayne Haskins would be a train wreck in Miami. Because Haskins need an offensive line in front of him that's going to keep him upright and keep shit out of his face. And Haskins in Miami would just be trying to dodge bullets, but he's nowhere near nimble or mobile enough to pull that off. It's it's interesting. Uh, I think Haskins with time could succeed here, obviously, but you've now got to get three new starters on your offensive line in addition to Haskins if you want to take Haskins and you want to play him. So I'm hoping it plays out like it did last year, right, where we found out after the draft last year that the quarterbacks the Dolphins liked were Baker Mayfield, duh, and Josh Allen. Well, shoot. But at least we found out who they liked. We got the opportunity to see, okay, this is, they weren't really in on Josh Rosen. They weren't really in on Lamar Jackson. Steve Ross apparently wanted Lamar Jackson. Some interesting kind of, you get some stuff after the fact. And I hope we get some stuff after the fact because I would love to see if Chris Greer's quarterback board mirrors Mike Tannenbaum's. Chris is a really good scouting eye. He's a great scout. So I would be really surprised if Tannenbaum's influence uh, rubbed off on him all that much. Uh, Let's talk about Adam Gase before we hit the commercial break. Monday morning quarterback for Sports Illustrated. Uh, On Monday, they profiled Adam Gase and this new culture in New York that he's looking for. And and, uh, the, the quote that was in there that really stuck out to me was Gase told Sports Illustrated, someone told me a few years back, don't prostitute talent for culture. That stuck with me, and I agree with that. Well, Adam, you, you don't have to tell us about how you shipped away talent for culture, sweetheart. We, we know. We saw it for three years. We saw the JHIE trade. We saw Jarvis Landry situation. We saw Dominic Sue. We saw you refuse to play Kenyon Drake after Kenyon Drake was your guy. And that's the problem. That is the huge problem with Adam Gase, and that's the issue that the Jets, I think, in New York are going to have a very, very difficult time with with Adam Gase unless Adam significantly changes the way he coaches and the way he approaches players. Adam Gase spent three years molding a locker room that would fall in line with his philosophy 
his way or the highway. And yet, the Dolphins are 7-6 and six and beat the Patriots in the Miami Miracle, and the team quits on Adam Gase. This was your locker room, full of your guys, designed to just fall in line and do what you tell them. And they had a winning record, and they quit on you in December. How is that not like the thing everybody is talking about with Adam Gase? This team was left for dead. Omar Kelly, the Sun Sentinel, said that the Colts game was the straw that broke the camel's back because the Dolphins had two possessions in the fourth quarter when at the start of the fourth quarter, they went up 10 points. And in those two possessions, I think the Dolphins had one yard of offense and held the ball for a minute and a half in the final 13 minutes of a game that they led at one point by 10 points. Including a tie football game. And the Dolphins had the ball on their own, inside their own 15-yard line. And Miami went incomplete pass, run, screen pass, punt, Colts kick, game winners, time expires. Just chicken shit, little shit like that. That like that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And then they came out, and the Miami Miracle happened. Game they should have lost. And then 0-3. And not just 0-3. Like, Minnesota destroyed our souls. Jacksonville was so embarrassing because Jacksonville is so bad and the offense in that football game was so inept. And then nobody cared in Buffalo. And then to top it all off, Adam, that's the reality of the situation. But in Adam's world, he comes back and says, uh, at the end of the day, this team should have been worse than 7-9, and nine, but... Those guys, quote, this direct quote from Adam Gase, quote, those guys stuck together. They kept fighting. We just kind of ran out of bullets. Now, if you followed Adam Gase for any period of time, you know there's one thing, one single thing Adam Gase loves to do. It's deflect blame from situations where he could absorb the blame for them and just deflect them onto something else. That's part of the reason why these ti- these Dolphins players were so tired of Adam Gase because they said, get the hell out of here, guy. Stop throwing players under the bus. Stop throwing execution under the bus. Take some responsibility for your football team. And guess what? The team quit on him, and the Dolphins just, quote, ran out of bullets. Too many injuries. We lost Avian Howard. Oh, no. Adam, brother. Tigers do not change their stripes. And I'm reading this story, and I I thought it was interesting, and then I got to the ran out of bullets line, and it says, geez, Adam, like, of course, Adam Gase is going to blame losing his job, indirectly blame losing his job. And a 7-9 finish, an 0-3 finish that was as frustrating and embarrassing as any end of the season to a Joe Philbin era of the Dolphins 
which says quite a lot because that team consistently shit the bed with the cards down on the table in in wild card contention. Says a lot. We're going to go ahead and move on. Before we get into the Dolphins roster, which is what the second half of today's podcast is dedicated to, I'd like to talk to each and every one of you about today's sponsor, Ethos Life Insurance. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there's no medical exams for policies covering under $1 million. No hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy reps. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing that you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to ethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Get ethos.com. Let's talk about the roster. One of the things that I did did at the uh, the end of the week this week over at Dolphins Wire was I looked at the Dolphins' current building blocks. We talk about as a coaching staff how we want to Build the foundation of the football team. What does the who is the foundation of the football team? Who are the guys that we can hang our hats on and and say, thank goodness these guys are here. These are our cornerstone players. They identify who we are as a football team. But then also who are the, the young foundational pieces around them that, that make and create the base of this football team? And I think to start this conversation, it's appropriate to talk about what the Dolphins have lost. And on Wednesday morning, on Path to the Draft, uh, they did a segment where they talked about how the Dolphins have experienced some historic turnover in their roster. You know, we know Juwan James is going. We know Ryan Tannehill's going. We know Robert Quinn, Cam Waite. We know those guys are all gone. But do you really realize the magnitude of their contributions to the team versus some historical context? The last time, mind you, the last time this happened was 1982. I was negative seven. The last time a team experienced the losses of their starting quarterback, their leading rusher, their leading receiver, Danny Amendola, their starting right tackle, and their leader in sacks, Robert Quinn, also lost Cam Wake. Potentially losing Rashad Jones on top of it. Just a monumental amount of turnover, which is not a bad thing, right? Because this team stung. Team was bad. Now, did the team, quote-unquote, Run out of uh, bullets like Adam suggested? To a certain degree, yeah, they did. But they beat New England without the bullets. You know, they didn't have Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson and 
you know, these offensive weapons that you know, really the team tried to build their offense around run after catch and just setting themselves up for success in that way. And But the, the offensive line was never under control the entire time. And I think that's one of the, the glaring pieces as you look at the Dolphins roster, all 58 players under contract right now. I broke this up into cornerstone players and foundational players. Cornerstone players are the cream of your crop. The best of the best. We have Laramie Tunsil and Xavier Howard. No duh. Now, here's the good news. These guys are both young. They're both on rookie contracts. They're both looming in the future, prepared to get long-term extensions. And the Dolphins have openly said their roster philosophies are now centered around keeping your good young talent. It's an important expectation because you reward those players. You make them love it here. So Xavier Howard, that deal's got to get done soon. I expect it to get done before the start of the season. The Dolphins are going to have all the capital in the world. They need to spend some cash. Give Xavier $13.5 million a year. And if anybody complains, we know who to kick in the butt. Laramie Tunsil came a long ways from his up-and-down rookie season where he was playing guard, and then he got hurt getting out of the shower, and then he's moved out to left tackle, and this was who we were expecting to see. 2018 Laramie Tunsil, give me that for the next 10 years, please. It's a building piece on the, the offensive line. Now, I'm going to read through the foundational players. I want you to tell me what's missing. Kenny Stills, Albert Wilson, Jakeen Grant, Kenyon Drake, Minka Fitzpatrick, Devon Godchow, Vincent Taylor, Jerome Baker, Raekwon McMillan, Bobby McCain. Potential future foundational players, Mike Gusecki and Charles, Dave, or Charles Harris. Rashad's too old to be a foundational player. Kiko's expensive and turns 30 next year. I don't think Miami brings him back. So I don't think those two, I don't think Rashad and Kiko are long-term pieces for this football team. What's missing? Anybody else on the offensive line? Tunsil's it. Tunsil is the only piece of the offensive line that we should feel good about right now. So the Dolphins have their work cut out for them there. Now, you may have heard these other foundational players and wondered what the criteria was. Uh, Some of these foundational players can develop into cornerstone players, like Minka Fitzpatrick. Please. One of these linebackers would be great. Then there's other guys like Kenny Stills and Bobby McCain, who may not have, like, big-time, all-pro, franchise-player-type ceilings, but you know exactly what he can do, and he's a reliable piece of this team's roster in the future. So, Jakeem Grant, some special teams qualities. Albert Wilson, run after the catch, dude. Kenny Stills, deep threat. Pretty crisp route runner. They have some pieces in the receiver group. Kenyon Drake, I almost left him off this list because he's got physical tools, but he has not put it all together. How much of that is Adam Gase and how much of that is Kenyon Drake? That's where his grace period allows and extends him to be considered a foundational player of the Dolphins. 
Now, if Drake comes out and he gets 145 carries this year and doesn't touch 700 yards, like he he's got to go. You got to have somebody who can carry a little bit more of the load and be relied upon to stay on the field with a little bit more frequency. But for now, I consider Kenyon to be a foundational player. Minka Fitzpatrick, obviously. Here's hoping that this time next year, Minka's a a uh, cornerstone player, keystone player. He played all over the place last year. I feel for the poor guy. The guy's head is probably still spinning from trying to remember every responsibility, every assignment. But he took it all in stride. He never really hit the rookie wall. He just kind of had some ups and downs. Anytime you can have Minka, a single player, play man-to-man coverage against A.J. Green in the slot and successfully defend him, play a roaming nickel corner who can hunt screen passes, make plays at the line of scrimmage, but can also play deep middle, like that's a really exciting skill set for a single player. Now it's just let him settle into whatever role you want him to play. Uh, the the double barrel of defensive tackles, Godshaw and Taylor, nice players. There is a there is a note here. Both of these players do not rush the passer. They're not penetration guys. So when Miami runs to run their their odd front, so they want to run two gap concepts, these guys are going to be great. When they run want to run even fronts, and they want to get a little bit more penetration. Put one of them in the one tech, and they'll be fine. But we'll get into in just a moment what Miami's missing along the, the offensive line or the, the offensive and defensive line of scrimmage. The linebackers, McMillan and Baker, two Ohio State kids. These guys may as well have both been rookies this year. McMillan uh, coming back off a torn ACL that he suffered in the uh, preseason of 2017. Baker. Speed for days. McMillan, he's the thunder of the group. And he came on really strong. I I was super critical of Raquan McMillan in the first half of 2018 because I thought the Dolphins took Millen, McMillan earlier than they needed to in the 2017 draft. But if we can get the last six games of the season from Raquan McMillan, we're in good shape. He's, he's, he really, the light bulb really came on. I'm really encouraged by that for him, and I'm happy for him uh, because typically if you have a significant injury your first year in the pros, that's, that's a big hurdle to get back over. So happy for Raekwon. Then the last one we listed was Bobby McCain. Uh, so don't play Bobby outside, please. I don't get why teams do this. They get a, a corner hurt on the outside. So then they take their nickel corner, who's only in the nickel because he's not good outside, and they play him outside, and then they downgrade the nickel because they bring up the, bring in the nickels backup. Don't make two positions worse. Make one position worse. That's one of the, the great mysteries of life for me, is why football coaches always insist to move somebody from somewhere else. So now you got to downgrade in two spots. Just downgrade the one. Leave Bobby in the nickel, please. That's why you gave him this big contract. Because he plays good in the nickel. Real quickly, these potential foundational players, Mike Gusecki, Charles Harris. Uh, 
let's see. We're testing my objectiveness here because I did not like either one of these picks. Was not a fan of either one of these players coming out. Uh, Mike, second round pick last year. I mean, Adam used him in pass pro like 20% of his snaps. How dumb do you have to be? That's mind-blowing to me. Mike Isecki, who, for as big as he is, he's got no power in his lower half. He's got no power in his legs, and he couldn't block at the college level. You're going to draft a guy, and one out of every five snaps for a guy that has one of the most historically most impressive NFL combines for a tight end ever. You're going to ask him one out of every five plays to put his hand in the ground and pass block. Okay. <laughs> Good luck. Put him out the slot, run him up the seam, try and get him behind linebackers. If we do that, Mike finishes the year with over 30 catches and over 500 yards. It's a win. Charles Harris... Charles Harris no longer gets the benefit of the doubt, guys. This is two years in which the Dolphins were, were dressing Jonathan Woodard over Charles Harris at a certain point last year. He's got to prove it, but he does not get the benefit of the doubt as far as being a foundational player for this football team. And that kind of segues me into my final thought of the day, which as I look at the offensive and defensive lines, we're in trouble. That has to be the theme this year. This is a great year to need both offensive and defensive lines. And the Dolphins have no talent. They have nobody to rush the passer at all. Like I said, Charles Harris does not get my benefit of the doubt. Devon Godchild and Vincent Taylor are good, solid Line of scrimmage players, they're not penetration players that are going to push the mesh point and push the quarterback. They cut Andre Branch, they traded Robert Quinn. Can't wait, walked in free agency. We are in trouble rushing the passer. We need a lot of help. And we have one foundational piece on the offensive line. So here's the dilemma. What do you do? How do you how do you cover as much ground as possible in a class that's great to do it? Well, if an elite talent falls to 12, you eat him up. An Ed Oliver, a Brian Burns. I would think twice. I, I'm now in the school where I would think twice before I draft Jonah Williams at 12. At 13, I'm sorry. They picked 13. Because Jonah Jonah's would be a wonderful addition to this roster. But I don't think the downgrade from Jonah to the next available offensive lineman is so big that you can't get away with trading back 10 spots and trying to pick up an extra two or an extra three. That would be my thought process. You need a, you need a difference maker on the line of scrimmage if you're not taking quarterback, which we're assuming they're not, you need a difference maker early on, dial that in, and then go ahead and, and try and maximize your picks from there and load up on horses up front because we have none. Zero. 
And you guys have no worries, zero worries, because Fin It to Win It will be back again next week as we creep even closer to the 2019 NFL Draft. I'm Kyle Krabs of thedraftnetwork.com and dolphinswire.usatoday.com. I'd like to thank you guys for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Talk to you next week.